Let's set the scene. Security pros are frantically trying to keep a business's networks running while they're defending its system from a constant drumbeat of cyber attacks. It might sound like a familiar situation to many of you, but these aren't your average corporate employees. They're college students, and they're competing in the National Collegiate Cyber Defense Competition. It's the country's largest cyber defense competition of its kind. And today we'll hear from the champions. Representing the University of Central Florida, this team beat out more than 2,000 graduate and undergraduate students from 180 colleges and universities. And even more notable, Hack UCF has won the last three titles. Welcome to the Cybersecurity Podcast, where we go beyond the headlines to interview some of the key leaders and thinkers in the field. I'm Peter Singer, strategist and senior fellow at New America. And I'm Sarah Sorcher, deputy editor of Passcode, the Christian Science Monitor's section on security and privacy in the digital age. In a few minutes, we'll hear from Heather Lawrence, president of Hack UCF, and her teammate, Alex Davis. But first, Sarah and I wanted to chat about some of the interesting things that we're doing around this summer, both inside DC and outside of it. And so I'm actually looking at Sarah here, and she's wearing a t-shirt that she <laughs> evidently got at a conference out in Las Vegas. So it appears you were out at uh, DEF CON? Yeah, I was out and about, and I have to say I uh, ran out of laundry, so I am have a whole new stash of t-shirts from the conference that I can wear to you know, just show off that I was there probably in DC. Not many people will get it, but those of you listening, you will. For the hacker and crowd. So what, you know, besides attending the shows in Vegas, uh, what were the more interesting things that you saw out there? What were the, the stories that you were grabbing? Yeah, one of the most interesting things was actually a first of its kind event, and that was a political fundraiser on the sidelines of Black Hat. It's a totally new thing for these hacker conferences. Why is that? Well, typically, the hacker community has prided itself on its strong, libertarian, anti-establishment mindset. Their whole thing is breaking systems and pushing boundaries. So politics doesn't really have a place in this. And there's actually, you know, it's an apathy, but also kind of an active antipathy towards government involvement in whatever they're doing. I mean, if you think about it, this is a place at DEF CON where Spot the Fed is played. And that's, you know, you basically are crowdsourcing the people to try to identify identify the federal agents in the crowd. So it's not exactly the friendliest attitude towards government agents. So what goes on at a political fundraiser there? And secondly, what are the reactions to people outside of it? How are they feeling about this this sort of a mark being crossed? So Jeff Moss, who founded Black Hat and DEF CON, he was the one who was actually headlining this fundraiser, which was in support of the Democratic nominee, Hillary Clinton. And there were some Clinton backers who are also cybersecurity pros who actually organized the event. But because Jeff was involved and he is such a prominent figure in the hacker community, he was getting a lot of flack on Twitter and in person. He was saying how his inbox was just blowing up with hate mail, basically people saying, why are you trying to politicize the technology? Why are you trying to bring politics into the hacker and so community? Is it, is it bringing politics in general or is it you're tilting it towards, you know, why are we having a Clinton campaign fundraiser and is there not a Trump or Jill Stein or whatever one? 
both of them. I think um, in part the feedback he was getting was because of the candidates specifically. And Jeff to this criticism was saying, well, if there was actually a Trump organized cybersecurity policy or fundraiser, he would have strongly considered speaking at that as well. But it really is about, I think, bringing in politics and policy into a community that traditionally has pushed back on that. But digital security is at the forefront of politics, especially this election cycle. We've seen the DNC hacks and suspected Russian hackers going after those emails and leaking them to the world. And that's had actual political consequences. You've seen Donald Trump go so far as to call on Russia to find Hillary's missing emails. And um, of course, all of these questions about Clinton's own personal cybersecurity are really front and center this election cycle. So I think what you're seeing is that the hacker community is realizing that their careers are much more intertwined with politics than ever before. And also with all of these other debates that we talk about on this podcast, like encryption and Wassenaar and the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, all of these things are actually policy issues that they are increasingly having to grapple with as policymakers try to do the right thing and make these laws that will actually affect their work. Mm -hmm. So, Peter, what is something interesting that you've seen in the last month? So probably one of the best-named conferences uh, I was at recently, besides Black Hat, is the Mad Scientist Conference. That sounds like a very unusual conference. Is it filled with mad scientists? Uh, slightly. It's um, actually sponsored, to make it even more interesting, it's sponsored by the U.S. Army. Uh, their Training and Doctrine Command has this initiative called Mad Scientist that brings together both actual scientists and science fiction writers. And their job is to try and help the military envision the future and understand what's happening next. And um, it's obviously a pretty cool collection of people and was invited to come in and speak to it about my vision of where things are heading to next. And I was named an official mad scientist. That's pretty cool. And so what was your focus when you were talking to them? So basically, I focused on three areas that encompass a little bit of my work. One was on the issues of new technologies and what's coming down the pipeline that you might imagine is equivalent to the computer, say, in 1980. So it's it's real, but it hasn't yet changed the world, mm -hmm. uh, the way computers and, of course, the internet have shaped everything, including, you know, you're in my podcast. Uh, and so those technologies range from in hardware, things like robotics and particularly autonomous robotics uh, and software, the move towards big data, but true artificial intelligence, internet of things on the wetware side, um, changing the human body, human performance modification, thinking about the new tools and how we make them. So 3D printing, direct digital manufacturing, and then shifts in energy, um, both sources of energy, but even energy weapons. So the kind of things that were sci-fi you know, uh, 30 years ago, lasers now being deployed into war. And then the other part of this was how each one of these new technology areas relevant to our podcast brings in huge capabilities, but also huge cybersecurity vulnerabilities. So the contestation, the kind of conflict that we've seen in cyberspace is only going to take off more and more. So for example, you know, at the conference you were at, one of the things that is constantly being demoed is not just hacks of uh, what you might think of as, you know, kind of software, but truly the hardware side of it. So hacks of drones, hacks of cars. Um, where does this take us to hacks of medical devices, including inside the body? Um, and then the final part of it was to talk about about the return of great state kind of 20th century style competition, conflict, US-China tension 
But what does it mean when you have these 21st century technologies? What does that kind of combination of old school politics and new school technology mean? So that's a, a short taste of the speech, um, but it was a lot of fun. And uh, of course, you know, being named an official mad scientist is a lifelong dream. That's pretty cool. Can anybody become a mad scientist if they want to go to this conference? Uh, no, is um, invite they, only they, they, scientists. You know, as was said by a, a mad scientist, you have to go to six years of mad scientist school. So is that like I'm kind making of the I'm making a, I'm making a Doctor Evil joke there? Yeah. Okay. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. All right. Well. Um, Well, that's really interesting. All right. And now we'll hear from Heather Lawrence and Alex Davis, members of the University of Central Florida's Cyber Defense Club and champions of the National Collegiate Cyber Defense Competition. Also known as Hack UCF, the club has a whopping 280 students in it. We caught up with them here in D.C. when they were on their victory tour, meeting senior government officials and companies after their team won the competition this summer. So Heather, Alex, thank you for joining us for the show. Why not to kick us off, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this field. Uh, okay, I'm a computer engineer over at UCF. I'm in their graduate program. Uh, hopefully I'll get my master's at the end of this year and then a PhD probably in like 2019. I actually didn't start in information security, cybersecurity. I started out in the Navy and uh, I was a Navy nuke. And I got out in 2010 and I couldn't find a job for the life of me. So I went back to college and um, tried a whole bunch of different things to find like a community for myself. Uh, I even rushed for sorority. Not definitely not my thing, turns out. And uh, I went to a Hack UCF meeting and found a bunch of people like me talking about some really cool nerdy ideas. Uh, They're really fun. And here I am in cybersecurity now. So, Alex, I'm sure it's the same story if you tried for a sorority and instead ended up. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the story is a bit different. Um, so currently uh, I'm in my last semester. I uh, should be graduating soon and probably going somewhere into the Silicon Valley uh, kind of fields. Um, but yeah, I, I got my start uh, back in high school, probably, uh, you know, uh, playing video games, actually probably even earlier than that, just playing video games and uh, getting into kind of like, oh, OK, well, how can I make the game do stuff it's not supposed to? How can I, you know, get the max score, give myself unlimited health, that kind of stuff, uh, which got me really interested into how things are working. Uh, led to me getting into a bit of trouble in high school, but not enough to, like, you know, mess up my future career. Um, but I kind of thought it was a dead-end field, you know. You get told that, hey, you can't mess with computers anymore. It's, it's uh, you know, not a career uh, that is, a, you know, a thing. Um, and then I... You know, I came into college, I uh, found Hack UCF, tons of people, all with similar mindsets. And then, you know, here I am, I realized that, yeah, it is a career and I turned it into something uh, that I was passionate about and something I did. Well, it definitely doesn't seem like a dead end right now because you guys are the National Collegiate Cyber Defense Champions, which is a pretty big deal. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing here in D.C. and what that competition process was like? Raytheon has been gracious host to invite us here to DC. Um, this is, of, of course, we're three Pete, so third year up here in Washington. And they are amazing hosts and change the itinerary every year. Yeah, they they put on uh, some really great activities. They take us all over, see some of the uh, the people making the, the cybersecurity policy, uh, some of the, you know, White House and NSA, CIA, FBI, you know, that kind of uh, 
the people that really do, they, they run the cybersecurity infrastructure for the United States. So uh, very cool stuff. Which, which, so you're going around DC, you're meeting with policy people, like you mentioned, NSA and the like, which is the most exciting, interesting place that you're going, except of course, New America and joining us for the podcast. <laughs> what, are, what are the other places that really excite you coming from the perspective of working in this competition? I actually really enjoyed the forensics labs uh, that we just saw. Um, we had uh, an individual show us basically how he reconstructed hard drives. And we got to see in the clean room and they had a Faraday cage and just as a lab person, you know, makes it tickles me in the right, right places. Yeah. Um, being able to talk to engineers, I think is the coolest thing. Uh, we get to see all these really nifty buildings and talk to these interesting people making policies, but sitting down with engineers and being able to talk about kind of the, uh, technical insights that they have being in, in the, the field for so long, uh, it really is, uh, eye opening. It gives you a new perspective on stuff and, I like that. And what was it like to, to get here and preparing for this competition? And what was that process actually like to be competing with other people around the country? Yeah, so the, the competition, uh, we treat it almost like a part-time job. I mean, there's weeks where we put in 20 hours of work. Uh, there's weeks where we put in 30 hours uh, of work. But, you know, it, it, it all pays off, uh, not necessarily just in the competition, but uh, in friendship. Uh, all the members of the team hang out regularly, even outside of practice. Uh, in knowledge, we learn stuff that you just can't learn in school. And then we get to do cool stuff like this. So. so some of our listeners will be familiar with these kind of contests and some may not. So walk us through exactly what happens in this kind of competition and maybe along the way explain, I think it's fascinating that your team has won the national championship three years in a row. So you obviously have- What's your secret? A, yeah, what's your secret? So not only what happens to this, but why do you win at it? Um, it kind of goes back into what Alex was saying. So um, the competition and regionals are a little different than nationals um, in the way that they're structured. But you basically sit down, you're told the IT staff had been fired because they had mismanaged all the infrastructure. So you're given a network that you have very little familiarity with and it's broken. And by the way, you need to fix it. There are a team of red teamers just ready to break into your network again and like, <laughs> if they haven't already established persistence. The uh, best in the industry. Yeah, uh, red teamers being the people that go in, attack networks and write up reports on it. So, I mean, you have people that break into networks for a living that are trying to break into your already broken network. Yeah. And then you're doing business tasks on top of it. So I need you to change this OS. I need you to switch out this hardware. I need you to create this report all at the same time. So this causes a lot of stress. And uh, when Alex says that we spend a lot of time together, that really helps because you know when people are under stress, they act differently. They, they don't know either not how, how to not handle it or they um, just don't act correctly in trying to solve the problem. Like we actually, during uh, uh, nationals, we had a time when we were trying, we were so overwhelmed, we had to sit down, stop what everybody was doing and try to triage all right, we need to do this first, and then we need to do this. And after all of that stress, we can still call each other friends, which mm -hmm. is, to me, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the winning part of it, 
how is the winner determined? And besides the the teamwork side, what are you doing? Do you think to prepare differently than the others? Because my guess is, you know, we if we bring in some of your peers, they'd also say we've got a nice team, but clearly there's some kind of preparation side that's allowing you to rise to the top. Well, I, I mean, I noticed it at regionals, you had teams that had only really been together for the past month. And it was very obvious that they had just not worked together. Like the, every person has a specific skill set that they are very good at. And giving them tasks that are not set to that, sp- that skill set is a little inefficient. Mm-hmm. Um, it can cause problems. So that time that we spend together is really important. And it also brings up areas that we're weak in. Yeah, I've noticed that there's a few teams that uh, they kind of meet each other in like a cybersecurity class and say, hey, there's this cool competition, let's go compete in it. But they limit it to kind of the scope of the class and the people, you know, their interactions in the class. Mm -hmm. One uh, example that really pops out with, uh, yet again, going back to the teamwork. So this was uh, last year's competition. There was a, a moment where uh, someone was asking me to do just more and more tasks. And I, you know, said kind of sternly, like, hey, look, I'm really busy right now. There's no way I could do all this. This needs to be done by someone else. And, you know, if it was someone that I didn't know, I might not have been, you know, as straightforward. I might have just said yes and then ended up dropping the ball on some. Uh, or I might have said that sternly and then had someone take that negatively. But because, you know, we're all friends we know that, hey, it's the competition, like it's you being honest and being efficient. And then at the end of the competition, you can still go out, share a drink, share a laugh. It really is a huge leg up. And when you're looking ahead to graduating or graduating in a bit, and um, eventually, w- eventually <laughs> um, when going into uh, these types of jobs, is this what you want to do? And what lessons would you take from this competition and the teamwork and the bond that you've built here into the workplace? Uh, communication is key. I mean, um, I've worked in places where, uh, let's say your your boss gives you a task and maybe um, you kind of understand how to do it, but maybe you have questions. Like being able to ask questions about things that you don't know is so important mm-hmm. because sometimes Google and Stack Overflow is just not enough. So I take that with me to my work. I'm like, no, I need you to, I, under, I don't understand. Can you sit me down? And tell me what you need me to do. Show me so I can complete this task appropriately. Is this what you want to do in the future, Alex? Um, yeah, so this this is primarily a defensive competition. Um, I've done both defensive and offensive uh, like jobs and internships in the past. I like a challenge. I, I, I'm not too picky about if I'm doing defensive or offensive. Uh, I like a challenge. I like work that changes very rapidly. I don't want to be coming in, you know, week after week, month after month doing the same thing and you know if this competition taught me one thing it's uh you you shouldn't expect to be doing the same thing uh security is always changing there's always new challenges new things coming up that idea of security always changing i think is interesting because based on your track record you're both very likely to be leaders in this field in say the year 2026 so how do you see this field evolving? What does it look like? What do you think our technology will look like? How will our cybersecurity approaches uh, be playing out in that period? What are the sorts of things you see yourself doing, say, 10 years out? I feel like 10 years kind of feels like a very short time when you think of 10 years. But with how fast technology is, is growing and expanding, 10 years is it's a, it's a pretty big jump. And it's kind of hard to make 
uh, accurate opinions about that. I kind of think of it kind of like the, you know, going back to Back to the Future. They thought, you know, by now we'd have hoverboards and we do. They just catch fire and you can't take them on planes. (laughs) Right. And they don't really hover, too. I think it's kind of. Yeah. Um, But but yeah. So if if I had to take a guess, though, uh, the way I see stuff going, uh, everything tends to be going towards this more data driven approach and stuff is a stuff is like a service. So um, an example of this. you know, you go to the app store, right? Um, and you, you're looking through apps, you see an app that's like a dollar. Most people are like, what a dollar for an app? I'm, there's no way I'm going to buy this. And then they, you know, go for something that's free. Um, which is funny, because you know, you buy like a cup of coffee, that's four apps right there. But um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, so I, I see stuff going towards this. Uh, it's marketed that it's free. And then it collects uh, data and analytics, um, and then uses that for advertisements and, and stuff like that. So uh, that brings up a, a very large challenge for security because you have all these different things that we're interacting with, uh, taking analytics and information about the users, and that needs to be stored in a secure way. And there's no real way to know if in the background if that's actually being stored in a secure way, uh, how they're handling their data, how they're shipping their data around. So yeah, I I see uh, you know 10 years from now, the amount of people owning a car is probably going to be down. Uh, we'll probably have self-driving cars, but... You know, you pull out your phone, you request a car, a car shows up, the app knows your preference to cars. You know, if you have kids and they figure that out through, you know, other you know, shopping and stuff like that, you might get like the minivan or the, the larger car has car seats already in it for the kids. You know, maybe you're like the younger generation college crowd, you might get sportier looking cars showing up, but it'll just pull this information with data analytics and stuff will be kind of given to you as a service instead of ownership. Uh, that's, that's what will the hacks see. look back look like in that period and, oh, that. and what do you see your role in terms of um either defending or if you're doing the offensive side uh conducting those kind of attacks in that period out? so uh in my current position we kind of deal with this in, a, in an odd way and um just like with a target hack right it's not your organization that's the problem anymore it's all your third party all your vendors um and that's where you're weakest so in the next 10 years, I really hope that we figure out a way to have all of your vendors vetted, all of maybe their their hardware vetted, right? We've moved a lot of manufacturing overseas, so we can't watch those um, parts being made, but we're using them. Um, And then for um, SCADA systems, you have everything on a chip, all of these things. That's so great until it's not really needed. So now you have all these things that are built into a chip that don't need like gps do you really want your gps on your sensors that you're in a anybody could look at that so something we talk about a lot on this podcast is the talent gap and how many jobs there are unfilled in cybersecurity looking for people like you guys and i'm sure that your job prospects are very bright which is great what would you say to people who are just starting college or you know in high school or middle school who are starting to think about security or maybe who are just interested in tech but haven't thought about security and where would they start why should they get into this what what, what advice would you give the younger generation uh, if you like puzzles and you like to learn like you're going to live forever as gandhi would say then i would say that this is the place for you Um, There are so many puzzles to have fun with. Yes, they are very serious in nature if you bring in context, but at the end, they are puzzles. Mm -hmm. So I would say to never stop learning 
because the field is so dynamic that you have to keep learning. Otherwise, you, you're left behind. Mm -hmm. And I would add on to that. I'd say also go out and actively learn. Don't yes. wait for the information to come to you. Go out and actively seek the information. Uh, we have Google. We have Wikipedia. Uh, we have all these great resources. Um, if you want to learn cybersecurity, you know, download stuff, set up virtual machines on your computers, experiment with stuff. Worst case, you break a virtual machine. You can just set up a new one. College is really great. If you're going to college, don't just go for the classes, though. Really get involved with some of the, uh, the clubs, the activities there. Um, it's really those people that you meet that, that will teach you way more than, than any class will. Yeah. And something, too, that I think is interesting is the ethics part of this, particularly when um, kids are younger or in high school or, or I guess any at any age. And Alex, you'd mentioned that, you know, you got into a little trouble earlier on in your in your cybersecurity career. So, I mean, is there anything that you would say about how to learn about what the rules are and make sure you stick within them or any yeah, lessons so that you've learned personally? The rules actually pretty simple. Um, if it's your system, it's OK. If it's not your system, don't touch it without permission. Um, that's like the golden rule to live by. Um, I mean, I definitely had one of those young and dumb kind of moments. Uh, I was messing around with school computers. Uh, that's kind of a common theme in the industry. Sorry, messing around. Oh, can you give a little more detail? Uh, yeah, I noticed. Without, without implicating yourself in any, any crimes. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, so they're, they're very familiar with, with what all I did. I actually helped them fix the, the flaws afterwards. Um, they were pushing down uh, policy updates through scripts, and the scripts that they were running on the local computers had uh, admin passwords coded into it. And then the last script that would run would just hide the directory where all these scripts were being you know, downloaded from, uh, from the network. So obviously, once I figured out the scripts were downloading from the network. And what grade are you when you're doing this? Uh, it's probably a sophomore or junior in high school. Yeah, so I pulled down the scripts, I figured out the password, and it led to basically having access to my school board and um, some other uh, county resources. Um, but yeah, so I, I got off lucky that my IT guy was going for a master's in security and cared more about how I did it than the fact that I did do it. Um, and he saw that I didn't have any malicious intent. You know, it was just me being curious, wondering you know, what exactly could I get? But for the listeners, you know, if, if you do want to kind of experiment with this stuff and you don't want to risk, you know, messing up your career, download a virtual machine uh, like a hypervisor. Um, there's like VirtualBox and VMware. It's super easy to set up. You can just download, you know, like a Linux ISO or like uh, get a Windows install CD and just set that up in the virtual environment. And then you can do everything that you would do to train on in, in that virtualized environment. You can break into those machines. You can experiment with like security flaws. You know, how can I patch the machine to pre prevent that flaw that, you know, you just got through exploiting. Um, and you can learn all of that in a way that's completely legal. You'll have all those skills. And when you put that down on a resume that you've set up your own testing environment and you've taught yourself, it really does stand out. I would also um, say that setting up your own test environment is the doing part of learning. Uh, sometimes people sit in a classroom and they can't just learn by seeing slides. You know, a PowerPoint presentation only goes so far. So setting up your own lab to, to play on really helps solidify a lot of these concepts. And you learn a bit of system administration yeah. in the process. It goes hand in hand very well. 
So one of the things that we ask um, all our guests as a way to wrapping the conversation together, and I think it links back to this idea of um, your experiences of how you got into the field and then what others might be taking from it, is how this field is depicted in popular media and in fiction. So, uh, and, and we have to admit, you're the youngest guest that we've had. So this is going to be interesting to do a little okay. bit of a compare and contrast with others. So what are your favorite depictions of cybersecurity in pop culture? And favorite can be you love it or you laugh at it and not just what, but tell us why. So uh, Heather, we'll begin with you. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're both in accord for like, and that's uh, Mr. Robot. Just seeing some of the tools that we've used in a TV show is amazing. I mean, they use they use social engineering toolkit. Set was used. I it was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they definitely show off uh, actual tools in the show. They obviously you know change kind of how they're being used to be more entertaining because having someone sit behind a keyboard for hours <laughs> on end, probably not the best show to uh, to be putting out on TV, but yeah, uh, it's a great show. How about the other side? Which are ones that you just, you know, pull your hair out or you go, you know, mom, that's not what I do. Um, CSI cyber. All, all of the movies where it's just like, oh, we have to hack in and unlock the door and they like you know they hit buttons on their phone and all the doors in the building like unlock or or csi cyber where it's just like two people on one keyboard yeah yeah uh, <laughs> um a good runner-up for uh actually the best and the worst at the same time is probably hackers like the was it like 90s yeah it's, like, a, it's a cult classic yeah. yeah yeah it's a great movie it's absolutely terrible but it's a great movie all right. Well, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank and, you for having uh, us. And best of luck in the either to you, but also to your team. Uh, you know, hopefully it can be four years in a row. So thanks again for joining us. Yeah, thank you thank so you. much. It was a pleasure. Thanks again to Heather and Alex for a great conversation. And join us next month when we interview more of cybersecurity's biggest leaders and thinkers. Be sure to subscribe to us on New America's iTunes and SoundCloud at the Cybersecurity Podcast. And I'm on Twitter at Peter W. Singer. And you can follow me at Sarah Sorcher. Sign up for Pasco at csmpasco.com. This podcast was directed by John Williams and Amanda Gaines with production assistance from Simone McPhail. Talk to you in a month. Thank you for listening to this podcast from New America and the Christian Science Monitor. This recording carries a Creative Commons 4.0 international license. Music thanks to MK2 for their songs, The Big Score, and Cold Killa. To learn more about Passcode by the Christian Science Monitor, please visit passcode.csmonitor.com. To learn more about New America, please visit newamerica.org. Thank you.